I was thinking as we were worshiping there how much I, I like those those new songs, the goodness of God and grazing the gardens. And then you guys brought an oldie but a goodie back. And like that stirred something up with inside me. Um, but it reminded me that like God's always doing something new. Like there's these songs that we've been singing since our youth and they take us back to like when we fell in love with God. But God is always doing something new. And so even in these new songs that we're singing, we'll remember that five years, 10 years, 50 years from now, that God was doing something here and now. Amen. All day as I was waking up, getting ready to come here and I'm a little OCD. I got to slide this thing over. I feel so off center. There we go. That's better. Um, as I was driving here, like I was listening to some worship music, just preparing my heart. And all I could think of was like jokes. Maybe it's just because Pastor Allen and I, we just joke too much. And so I'm going to try to refrain from the jokes today. There's a joke. But um, I was, I was um, preparing this sermon, and I was thinking, man, this might be the worst sermon you've ever heard. It could be the best sermon you've ever heard. Um, my congregation today is probably going to be like, who's this pastor? This guy is so boring. And, and you guys might be like, who's this pastor, man? This guy, like, is way too enthusiastic on a Sunday morning. But, um, but I'm joking, of course, because it, it, it really is a privilege for me to be here in this church. Um, pastor Allen and I have been friends for about six years. I'm like, finally, thank you for the invite. Jeez, took long enough. Um, but I like to have fun at church. Anybody sit through a boring church service? Anybody sit through a boring pastor? Like I like to like I like to have fun at church. Like think about Jesus' very first miracle. Where was it at? It was at a party. But 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 at the same time, oh come Holy Spirit, come. There's this awe and wonder when we approach God. That should still stir something inside of us. Like if you came here today for a religious practice of check the box off. I went to church four weeks in a row. You're missing it. Like uh, Gloria, you said it perfectly. Like we're not trying to usher in God. Like he's here. We're in his house. I don't go to your house and just like talk to you when you're not there. We come to the Lord's house because he's already here. And so I just really want to honor you guys. I want to honor your pastor. I have so much love for him. And it's because of that that I love you guys. I, I love Amber Lynn because she's just awesome, but also in part because she's married to Alan. They are one flesh. And I love their kids because they made them. But it takes a lot for a pastor to allow somebody else into their pulpit. Don't, don't, don't take that too far. <laughs> and so what I'm trying to say is like, I don't take this lightly. 
And we have this idea of like, yeah, man, let's do a pulpit switch. And like, you can just preach an old sermon that you like, and then you don't really have to do any work. And that's easy. I got a bunch of sermons that I preached that I really liked, but it was like four o'clock in the morning. God woke me up and he's like, boom, boom, boom. This is what I want you to preach. And I was like, I should get up. I should write that down before I forget it. But it's four o'clock in the morning. And I woke up like 20 minutes later. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Okay, I still got it. I still got it. And I finally rolled myself out of bed so that I could prepare this sermon for you guys today. And so, Father God, we approach your throne with pure hearts and a clear conscience, God. And if we came in here today without that, God, well, now is the time that we prepare our hearts to receive your word. God, your mercies are new every morning. God, speak us, speak to us today in a way that only you can. Allow us not to leave here the way that we came in, God, but help us to fall more in love with you, with each other, and with our community. Come, Holy Spirit, come and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Does anybody have a, a life verse? Paul, what's your life verse? There you go. I like that. I like the 17 part as well. Anybody else? Life verse. Yes. Look at this. I knew you were going to say that. Look at this. Look at that. See, I like to have fun at church because... Yes! Look at that. That's my life verse. That's amazing. Uh, that's been my life verse since 2006. I went through the Joshua Project, and one of the things they encourage you to do is find a life verse. And so I just wanted to see if Pastor Allen was doing his work. I saw a few more hands go up. I'm encouraged by that, that you have a life verse. Um, and, and, and so today, like, I have this like, opportunity to like, inspire you, right? Like I could, I could preach a TEDx talk right now. I mean, there's, there's pastors that do that. They're really good at like TEDx talks. They never even opened the Bible. Like I listened to your sermon. It was really good. And I was inspired. But I hope that today like you can see some of this awe and wonder that I'm talking about, about God's word. Because I could talk to you all day and you might leave here feeling pumped up and ready to be a better wife or a better husband or a better follower of Jesus. But this is what's important. Uh, our buddy... Five likes to say Craig James, uh, Christian hip-hop artist. He's performed right here in your church. I love what he says at the end of every single show. If I leave here today and you don't remember my name, if you don't remember that I came from Livingston, from Crossings Community Church, you've lost nothing. But if you leave here today and you didn't fall just that much more in love with Jesus, then you've lost everything. Because he's the only thing that matters. It was just over six years ago that God called my family to come to Montana and pastor. I'm a beach boy. It was like in my prenuptial that like we're never leaving the beach. And then God called us to this place. But I didn't come here to pastor a church. I have no desire, to be totally honest with you, I have no desire to just pastor a church. 
God called us here for a revival. And he wasn't like, you're going to be the revival. He's like, you're going to be a part of revival. See, the revival is going to look different today. It's not a big white tent out in a field somewhere in Bozeman. It's in the hearts and minds of individuals. I don't care what your age is. You could be so on fire for Jesus that you inspire me. I don't care how little you are. There's this passion that you can learn to know about Jesus because of the way that your parents raise you. They see you on your knees worshiping. And it's the next generation. I believe you've maybe heard about the billion soul harvest. I believe it's going to rise up out of the next generation. But you and I get to play a part in God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. See, I told my uh, pastor in San Diego when he said, hey, what do you think about planting a church in Montana? I said, I'm not really interested in planting a church. We have dying churches. Why would we plant another church when the church down the street is dying? Not to bore you with statistics, because I hate statistics and sermons, but in 2019, 3,000 churches opened, and yet 4,500 churches closed their doors. That was pre-pandemic. Since the pandemic, 42% of pastors are thinking of quitting the ministry. 90% of pastors report working 55 to 75 hours per week. I've griefed my pastor. Oh, you only work one day. You can't return my phone call. And then I became a pastor and I stopped returning his phone calls because I was so busy. (laughs) 80% believe that pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families, their relationships with their children and their wives. 65% of pastors feel their family lives in a glass house. You're always looking at them. You're always throwing stones at them. 65% of pastors feel they have not taken enough vacation time with their families over the last five years. Hey, man, I'm just going to throw a word out there. Maybe it's you. Maybe, maybe your bank account can afford to send your pastor to San Diego or Texas or Florida. What a blessing that would be. 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider to be a close friend. In the Joshua Project, I've graduated over 100 men through this discipleship course. I'm lucky enough that if I wanted to travel to the United States, I could stop in almost any state I want to and have somebody that I could rely on. One out of every 10 pastors will never... One out of every 10 pastors will actually retire as a pastor. One out of ten. In Hebrews 13, 17, it shares something. This is the word of God. And so I might share some things with you today that rub you wrong, but it's going to be from the word of God. So you get to wrestle with that. But Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So that, everybody say, so that. that. They can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. My heart 
my heart goes out to the pastors that hang their head to come preach God's word on a Sunday because the sheep are just beating them. I was told many years ago as I began preaching, don't beat the sheep. But I think the sheep need to hear the same thing. Don't beat your pastor. Like You, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know the, the intricacies of the church body that he is dealing with right now. The family struggles that people are going through that you're not privy to because you don't need to know, but the, the burden is on your pastor. You don't know the fight that him and his wife just had before church started because they don't have enough finances to do the things they want or to pay their bills. Don't burden your pastor, but let it be a joy to him. Imagine what your church would look like if everybody played a part. You weren't consumers, but you were producers. See, I've been screaming from the rooftop since 2020. You guys all remember that time in history? I've been screaming from the rooftops that normal isn't coming back. Like, what if God actually used that time in, in, in history for the biggest reset the church has ever seen in your time? That God said, hey, look, you were coming to church, checking boxes, putting this label Christian on yourself, but now what we're seeing, what we're seeing is the real followers of Jesus going after it. I don't know what your church looked like, but I know that my church, we were pushing this threshold at our church pre-COVID. And we lost 25 to 35% of our congregation post-COVID. See, look, man, like I love online church. We're doing it right now. If you're watching, bless you. The Lord keep you and shine his face upon you. But I also, and, and we all got to fulfill a dream in our lives, like of being televangelist. Here we are. Everyone's watching us online. Alan, don't lie. How many times during COVID did you go on Sunday after church and look at how many views you had? Whoa, 615 views. Whoa. Now we're back down to like seven. But I also think that like it's been a detriment to the church. You don't have to come to church on Sunday. You can just watch online. I'm in my PJs. I'm comfortable. I got my bowl of Lucky Charms. Scroll through social media and nobody can really tell. Hey, what are you doing back there? Get off your phone, would you? You can do that in the comfort of your home and semi-sort of pay attention and say that you went to church. So I want to share with you uh, something from Exodus 24. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna shout this. You guys could just read this if you want to. I'll, I'll be here all day. Pastor said I got about three hours and three and a half. There's something that happens in Exodus. God saves the Israelites out of slavery. Heavy, forced labor. The ten plagues come. It takes ten plagues for Pharaoh to finally say, let him go. You must be God Almighty. And then he he rescues him through the Red Sea. He rescues him through the Red Sea. Like, these chariots are on them. They're about to be consumed. And God opens it up, lets a million Israelites through. And as they get pursued by these chariots, God swallows them up. They're on their way to the promised land. 
Do you know how long that journey was? 11 days. The journey was 11 days. It took them 40 years because of their stubbornness. But, but they're, building, they're building this covenant. They're building this ark. And, and this is what the people say to God. Let's say it together. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded. Okay, I want you to read this next one like you really mean it. We will do and obey Okay, now really say it like you're awake on a Sunday and you're ready to receive. We will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Yes and amen. Come on. Come on, somebody. Hey, okay, let me, let me just set this up. I, I, I'm, I'm failing you guys. I love it when you talk back. So, so Paul, come on, man. Mo, come on. You guys came all the way from Belgrade and Bozeman. Throw out some amens. Hallelujahs. Come on, let's do church. Heresy! <laughs> Was that you or Paul? Because... <laughs> One of the biggest struggles for me as a pastor, I don't know if your pastor is good at this, but I'm not good at this. I, I have a really hard time coming up with sermon titles. Um, I'm just not good at sermon titles, but, but I have a sermon title for you today. And I like it because it's a little controversial. It's called Sexy Church. Hey, I thought you put church in there, Alan. It was there. Well, that's good too. Um, it, that's probably why I don't pick sermon titles or people don't ever bother me about them. You're, you're, like, you're like sexy church pastor? Come on, can we even say that word sexy in church? Listen, this is a whole sermon here, but, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, say this for you. Okay? God designed sex. We don't need to be ashamed of it. Your sexual desires that you have, you don't need to be ashamed of them. It's what you do with them that we have to guard. Okay? God is the designer of sex. God, God um, has given that as a gift, and so it must be God-governed. We don't need to be ashamed of that word or our feelings or our desires that we have. That's a good word. That'll preach at another time. But when I say church... What's the first thing that comes to your mind? People, buildings, pews, body, Sundays, worship, singing. All of this is factual, true, and correct. But not God's design. See, one of the things that I I love about um, church is when we understand the true meaning of church and the way that God designed it. A couple years ago, we were in Redding, California, and my buddy had just bought a brand new Tesla Y. And I was like, cool, big deal, I don't care. And then he's like, no, 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 but like you got to go for a ride. And I'm like, look, the only thing I know about Teslas is what my 12-year-old son told me, and he said... That if you open up the gas, if you tell Tesla to open up the gas tank by using a derogatory term, the gas tank will pop open. 
and and it does it'll pop open and and if your passenger comes to sit and do the seat next to you you can you can set it up so that when they sit down uh the tesla will let out a fart sound (laughs) or if you turn your blinkers on when's the come on when's the last time you heard someone say the word fart in church but it's all true all that stuff i was i was telling my son i'm like there's no way there's no way, Shane, that Elon Musk designed this $100,000 car and it can do stupid stuff. <laughs> he actually designed it that way. But here's, here's what I love about the Tesla. It's an electric car, right? There's no gasoline. My truck, I've like modified it a little bit and I have this speed commander. And so my, my throttle response is faster than yours because I put this attachment onto it. I added to it. But we're getting onto the on-ramp to the freeway and he stops in the middle of the on-ramp. And I'm like, bro, what are you doing? We're in the middle of the on-ramp. He goes, put your head back. I go, wait, put, he says, I'll put your head back. I put my head back. <laughs> the thing took off. It did like zero to 60 in 3.2 seconds. No lag it just took off and i'm like babe we need to get a tesla we can get a tesla x i like the way the bat wings go out she put the x nail on that plan but here's what i love about it elon musk put a lot of thought in design into these vehicles and he wanted them to be sexy and so he came out with a tesla s and then he came out with the tesla three But it's not like the number three or this three, it's this three. Because he had a vision, he had a design, and he had a plan. His plan was to make a sexy car. See, God has a plan for the church. He designed it a specific way. But I think that in the 21st century, we've really lost focus of what the church is supposed to be but take heart it's not your fault it actually goes all the way back to 1611 but first what i would like to do is open up the bible and look at one of the most powerful passages of scripture in my opinion in matthew chapter 16 this is one of the most powerful questions that jesus ever asked his disciples a.k.a. you, but in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 15, Jesus says, Jesus is speaking to you here. Can you hear him speaking to you? Who do you say that I am? See, many people will say, oh, Jesus, you're my Savior. And you'd be right. He died on a cross for you. But not everybody wants to say, and you're my Lord. See, Jesus, we just want Jesus to come into our life and, and, and save us and, like, check a ticket to heaven. If Jesus is my Savior, then, then I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But Jesus wants more than that from you. He also wants to be the Lord of your life. And that's where you say, the things that I want to do aren't the things that I should be doing, but the things that I want to do... Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be your Savior and the Lord of your life. That means you've got to sacrifice some things in your life. The way that you communicate with your wife. The way that you interact with people at work. 
the way that you walk down the street and meet your neighbors. Because when Jesus becomes the Lord of your life, that's when everything begins to change. There was a time in my life where when I was running the streets and operating and sex, drugs, and rock and roll and violence, that I didn't, I didn't like everybody that I came across. I despised the beggars. In San Diego, they're all over the streets. And I would go to my buddy's tattoo shop and I'd go across the street to Jack in a Box and get food for him as he was preparing for our next session. And I always had to trip over this beggar in front of Jack in the Box. And I despised him. Quit asking me for what's mine. And then God wrecked me. See, I operated for many years with religion in my mind. I knew the Bible. I'd quote it to you. But then it trickled 18 inches down into my heart. And when God's truth, the love of the Father, got into my heart, it changed everything. I'd trip over this beggar, and now I'd change my conversation. I'd say, hey, man, what do you need? What can I get you? I don't care if it was my last 20 bucks, but I'm going to spend it. I'm going to spend it on that on that beggar sitting on the streets homeless. You know why? Because when I look at him, I can see Jesus. If we are all made, male and female, in the image of God, how dare I look at you any other way? If I can't see Jesus, then the problem's on me. I need to change my reality. But here's the interesting thing about where Jesus asked this question. He asked this question to his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. That is the same location as Mount Hermon. This is where they made a shrine to Caesar. This is where they had a shrine for Nemesis, the fertility goddess. This is where they had a cave that they called the Gates of Hades, where they actually believed that Baal Hermon would enter the world. They would give human and animal sacrifices and have deviant sexual acts performed there. And Jesus takes his disciples there and says, who do you say that I am? Because here we are, one of the most evil places in the world, and I need to ask you a question. Does that sound like a world you live in? Because it is. Because it is. Those that will live contrary to the Bible will tell you what's right. And listen, I'm not telling you to get a soapbox. I'm not telling you to get a bullhorn and Bible tracks and go stand in front of R-rated movies and bars on Friday nights. What I'm telling you is don't be surprised because you are living in Sodom and Gomorrah. And part of the reason why we're suffering with this is because somebody told you to shut up. And it's the world. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And I'm going to ask you that question in one of the most despised places in the world. But look what Jesus says. This is a remarkable part. This is the part that we've missed. And it goes all the way back to 1611. In verse 18, Jesus says. Oh, there we go. I missed the page. In verse 18, he says, I, everybody say I will build my, everybody say my. my, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. See, Alan's not trying to build his church. 
I'm not in Livingston, Livingston trying to do my thing. I'm trying to bring heaven to earth. It's His church that we're building. See, somebody said in Revelation 12.11 that we have conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. We have conquered Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. What's your testimony? You got a life verse. That's awesome. What's your testimony? Do you have a two-minute elevator pitch? You're in an elevator with somebody. The end of the world is coming. This person doesn't know Jesus. What's your two-minute testimony? Because this is how we overcome the world. Nobody told you to shut up. Speak the name of Jesus boldly. What happened at Pentecost when Peter received the Spirit of the Lord? He began to speak boldly. And many came to know Jesus. So I want to explain this to you. Here's the problem with the translation in your Bible. William Tyndale was the first to publish an English version of the New Testament in 1552 for the British. Very reminiscent of Martin Luther and what he did for the Germans. But in 1611, King James came upon the scene. Now listen, if, if you're reading from the King James, that's fine. Read it. Keep reading it. I'm just explaining some history to you. Okay, This is the history of your Bible because there's this very true word that William Tyndale and Martin Luther used. And it was this Greek word, ekklesia. Everybody say ekklesia. ekklesia. Say ekklesia like you're a part of it. You are a part of the ecclesia, and I want you to see the power of this word. It's actually translated assembly, called out once. But in 1611, when King James came onto the scene, he gathered 47 scholars. He placed 15 different prohibitions against them, and one of them was specifically translating the Greek word ecclesia into the word church. So we have to ask ourselves the question, why? This is, this is a whole sermon in and of itself, but I just want to explain this to you shortly, that King James wanted to keep complete governance and control of the church in his hands. See, when a Roman Empire would come into a new region and they would seize the land, they would send out the ecclesia. Pay attention here. They would send out the ecclesia. Pay attention here. To establish the law of the land. Whose law? Caesar's law. Do you understand why King James had a problem with this? He believed in the divine rights of kings. I lord over you. I govern you. I will tell you when, where, and what you can do because this is now Roman land. The ecclesia is supposed to be the one that is influencing culture. You are supposed to carry this kingdom of God with you everywhere you go into your business, into your work, into your schools, into your library, into your bank, into your supermarket. Do you stop becoming a Christian when you go to town and country? I love what Bill Johnson once said. 
He pauses before he walks into any building. Okay, God, what's my assignment? Oh, a woman in a green shirt. There she is. I have a word for you. Can you imagine how we would shift the atmospheres of our towns if we realized that you truly are the ecclesia, you truly are on assignment? Hey, there we go. What time am I supposed to be over? Okay, you guys aren't going nowhere then. Lock, Darren, lock the doors. See, here's the problem with King James philosophy is Jesus is the only one with complete power and authority. Not kings, not men, not presidents, not denominations, not political parties. Jesus is the only one with complete power and authority. And so this is where your homework comes in, okay? Because I don't have time to share all of this with you, but Jesus has absolute power and authority and he's given it to you, the ecclesia. We must understand that today. The meaning has never changed. And so this now awakens you to fulfill your full potential as an ambassador of Christ. How many people in this room have been baptized? Amazing. Amazing. Everybody. Everybody. Your your title is ambassador. Well, not me, pastor. No, 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 no. I didn't say it. God's word said it. You're an ambassador. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint. You're holy and blameless in God's eyes. This is what God's word says about you. Each and every one of you in here. We start walking in our true potential. We start to live this abundant life that Jesus talked about when we actually believe God's word. Well, I'm not an ambassador. Like, woe is me. I'm not very eloquent in speech and I stutter. And yet Moses, Moses led the Israelites to the promised land. God used him powerfully. And God used those around him where he was weak. See, an ambassador, as an ambassador of the kingdom, you can go anywhere in the world anywhere in the world with a note from the king. They can't kill you unless they want to start a war. I have a note from the king. says that I can go into this region because I'm an ambassador of the king. Should you touch me, should you kill me, you just started a war. Oh, man. What if we were on assignment? Like, I'm not... You understand what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying, like, go start a war and become this mean, angry Christian. But you're on assignment as an ambassador. Because Jesus is not just your Savior, but he's also your Lord. And he actually commands you. Are you going to listen? Will you obey all the commands of God? You just shouted it out earlier that you would. So let's get to this. But, 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 but wait, Pastor. Isn't Satan the God of this world. Yes, he is. The Bible tells us that. Adam relinquished dominion and authority in the garden when he disobeyed what God had commanded him. But don't forget this. He might be the king of darkness, but Satan has no authority. 
That was stripped away from him at the cross of Calvary. Jesus is the only one who possesses all the keys and has all authority associated with those keys. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I am giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You have power and authority because of the king that you choose to serve. And authority always trumps power. Authority always trumps power. So now we can understand why Jesus set up this ecclesia. Because he set it up to use you as his ambassador to prevail against the evil in government. Think of Caesar and the Romans. He gave you power to prevail against the evil in idolatry. Think of Nemesis, the fertility goddess. He gave you the power against the evil, against Satan himself represented by the gates of Hades. Jesus not only possesses all authority, but he gives it away freely to you, his ecclesia. See, I believe it. I believe it, that we are in a new season, that we are in revival of the church. But it's going to start with each and every one of you. Are you willing to dislike the person at your workplace because they are different than you? Are you willing to let the person at the bank go to hell because they are different than you? Are you willing to let your neighbor go to hell because they live a different lifestyle than you? Or are you willing to just continue to invite them, invite them, invite them? You know, the statistics are crazy. If a mother comes to church by herself and her children come with her, there's like a 7% chance that the husband comes with them. And when, when uh, fathers lead their homes, there's like a... chance that the family comes to. But you know the biggest statistic is when somebody invites them. When somebody invites them. You know why people don't go to church? Because nobody invited them. Oh, they live a homosexual lifestyle. I'm not going to invite them to church. Oh, they're a drunk. I'm not going to invite them to church. Oh, they listen to worldly music. I'm not going to invite them to church. You know why they don't come? Because you didn't invite them. So I have this vision and I believe God is fulfilling that your church is going to be full and it's going to be because of you. It's not because your pastor is an amazing worship leader or because he's an eloquent speaker. It's going to be because of you. Well, I don't go to that church because I don't get fed when I go to that church. Let me just tell you how ridiculous that sounds. That's not your pastor's job to feed you. Can you imagine if you fed yourself once a day or once a week? You would either be institutionalized or in a hospital. You would be very malnourished. That that one was for free. I don't know where that came from. So our assignment is to use the keys that Jesus has given us full authority of that he possesses. Because in the kingdom of God, there is no lone rangers. There's no sideline observers in the kingdom of God. 
Look, I might be speaking to you right now and something inside you is riling up like, yes, God can use me. You might be thinking to yourself right now like, I don't don't like this message. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling conviction. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So it's not my pastor. It's not my words that are convicting you. That's Holy Spirit. And I, I assure you, you should probably pay attention if that's what you're feeling right now. Because we can't do church alone. Church alone, in our PJs, with our bowl of lucky charms, loses its authority. God's word actually tells us, don't forsake the gathering together of brothers and sisters. Don't forsake it. And, and, and you might even be here today like, oh, oh, I hear these testimonies from what happened this weekend. and I wish I was there next year. It's going to be amazing next year. Alan and I did a men's retreat three years ago, and I think we had 15 guys. And then the next year, he asked if I wanted to do it again, and I was like, oh, man, this is a lot of work for 15 guys. And we had 23 guys. And this year, we had 50 guys. And we came back with this holy passion for Jesus. Our church was on fire after that. And the women of our church said, we want that. We want that, too. And I was like, do it. And they did it. They got together with Amber Lynn and Laura Smith, and they put together this amazing retreat. It was such a privilege and an honor to be there and serve them. Every year, as I'm wrapping this up now, coming in for a landing, sometimes when you're coming in for a landing, though, like the, the landing gear doesn't come out and you've got to do another lap. And, and then sometimes like the fog comes in and then you've got to do another lap. But like we're coming in for a landing. I don't know how Pastor Allen does it, but like when a pastor says they're coming in for a landing that's at least 30 more minutes (laughs) but every year for halloween we do an outreach called be the light oh how much grief we've received from the christian church about actually being out in public on halloween i grew up jehovah witness we hit every year at halloween we closed the doors, we turned the lights off, pulled the shades. Everybody would pretend that we weren't home. And then I became a Christian. And I read this, I read this account in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus actually tells us, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You see what I'm trying to share with you? Who told you to shut up? Hey, it's Halloween. Go. You're a Christian. Don't participate in the darkness. Darkness is only the absence of light. Jesus said, you are the light. Look, man, I don't know about you, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord 24-7, 365 days a year. We're not taking the day off. Oh, you want to go participate in darkness and dress up? And, and for 97% of the earth's population, they're not participating in evil practices. There are people that are participating in evil practices. They're waiting for that day. If you don't know this, there are witches in your community. You think you don't have an assignment? You think you're just going to let them have a voice and go do what they want to do? We're not going to do that. We set up a, a strategic location every year to be the light. And you know, all we do, hand out hot dogs. 
first year we did like 100 hot dogs second year, last year we did over 200 hot dogs like we're gonna get at least 300 hot dogs this year because I'm not gonna cower and I'm not gonna hide and I'm gonna stand proudly behind my church's logo crossings community church and serve hot dogs to my friends my neighbors and my family why because Jesus said that's who you are salt adds to right Salt adds flavor to. You should be adding flavor everywhere you go. You should be changing the atmosphere everywhere you go. You can't take light and and put it under a basket. We were at camp this weekend and you needed a light at nighttime to navigate the course. If you didn't have that light, you're stubbing your toe. You're tripping on the rocks and the branches on the ground. I don't know why it does that. Lightning and thunder. Did I already tell you we're coming in for a landing? Hey, good. I got 10 more minutes then. So I'm sharing a lot of stories with you today. But these are for our knowledge. These are for us to learn from. The problem is when we read the story again another sermon again and we don't apply it to our lives because religion religion says do just do so that you can live a morally upright life and everybody will see your example and relationship says i love you and i give you the choice to listen follow and obey my words and there's a promise that comes with that too you will live an abundant life. Oh, Pastor, you should see my big... I'm talking about your bank account. Like, you can't even say that in Christian circles anymore. Like, oh, an abundant life. You're preaching the prosperity gospel. Let me tell you this much. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. But there's prosperity in the gospel. Yeah, yeah that should get an amen from somebody. So I just want to finish with two short stories. Okay, the first one comes from one of God's prophets, Jonah himself. And in the book of Jonah, he finds himself under the sea. You know the story. I'm not thinking about the sea like you're talking about. I'm talking about sea. I grew up in a, in a town called Carlsbad. We'd always go, see Carlsbad from Carlsbad. And then I grew up in the town, Oceanside. Oside. Mo, you probably even surfed there before. But what, did, what happened in the story of Jonah? You guys are familiar with this story. God called him to preach against the evil in Nineveh. And Jonah, as a prophet of God, said, ha, not them, not going. They're, they deserve death. Hey, God wants me to go preach to the gays? No, they deserve death. God wants me to preach to my neighbor who, who chastised God and mocks him? No. Nah. They can go to hell. Jonah goes so far to go the opposite way of the sea in his life that he turns around and goes 550 miles the opposite way. And he literally finds himself under the sea, running from the sea of God, the call of God. There is a call on your life. And now it's your choice. Are you going to turn and run from it? 
or are you going to respond? Because God's a merciful God, and he desires that everybody be saved, that everybody come to know the name of Jesus. And you know what? I can't reach the people that you reach. You can't reach the people that I reach. You have an influence in this part of the city that I don't have. Each of us has a call on our lives. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want to rescue those people from their sin. Isaiah chapter 3. This is my last story I want to share with you because uh, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's actually Isaiah 6, but in Isaiah chapter 3, this, this idea about judgment and doom coming for Jerusalem and Judah, God is speaking it out. Judgment is coming because of their evil, vile practices. And he's even talking about the Christians who claim to be Christians, that claim that Jesus is their Savior, but they don't want him to be their Lord. He's like, destruction's coming. Okay, destruction's coming to you because you don't want to follow my ways. And then there's a call on Isaiah's life. The seraphim show up. And when Isaiah sees him, he says in verse 5, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the king of the Lord of armies. And then one of the seraphim flew to him in his hand, and with a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar, he touched his tongues and said, Now that it has touched your tongues, your inequity is removed, your sin is atoned for. Old Testament, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. What is a seraphim? A seraphim is a supernatural being created by God. He was created by God to serve and to worship. It actually comes from the Hebrew word seraph, which means to literally burn with fire. And even more specifically, destruction by fire. But God is the God of restoration. So what does the seraphim do? He uses this burning coal as a purification agent. I'm not good enough. God can't use me. You've been purified in the waters of baptisms, brothers and sisters, to be used by God as an ambassador for his kingdom. Because Isaiah says, when he hears the voice of the Lord, whom will I send? Whom will go for us? God is speaking the same word to you today. And unlike the prophet Jonah, the prophet Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Send me, I will go into the bars. I will go into the dark places of Belgrade, in Montana, in Livingston. Here I am, God, send me, I will go. I will learn how to love the LGBTQ community and share the truth of God's word with them and how they are loved by God. Because God is a God of restoration. Watch what God can do. And he's looking for one word from you. And I love how the NET version of the Bible puts it. There's this teenage lady, unwed, and she ends up pregnant. That's, that's a huge problem in that day and age, to be pregnant out of wedlock. 
But the Holy Spirit comes to her and says, Don't fear. Don't fear. This is from the Lord. And you know what Mary's response was? Yes. You've heard the sermons on Christmas. But the NET version of the Bible says that Mary just said, Yes. Does God have your yes today? I'm not really a challenge pastor, but I do like the truth of God's word. And, and God gives you a choice. Does he have your yes? I got one. I got one. Going for two, I got two in the back. Going for two, going for three. Going for three, going for... Got three. Oh, oh, he's just scratching your head. Is that a yes? He's got it. He's it. We got three. Going for four. Four, four. Going for... I heard uh, Voody Buchanan. Am I saying that name right? Anybody know who I'm talking about? Black pastor. I think I'm saying it right. Voody Voody Buchanan. That's right. That's it. That's how you do like Hebrew and Greek. You just say it like you don't know Hebrew and Greek, so it sounded right. He said that all the gospel requires is repentance and faith. (gasps) Pastor, you can't. No, that's all it requires. Repentance and faith. What was Jesus' very first word in his public ministry? Repent. We love to quote 2 Chronicles. If my people, what? Repent. If my people repent. It starts with repentance and faith. Look, obedience is what's produced through repentance and faith. And so when we approach God's word with repentance, God, I I come to you with a humble heart and a clear conscience. And I need to repent today for the things that I've done. Obedience is what's produced. God, I sure don't feel like an ambassador. Everybody knows my story from this town. Nobody will listen to me. But God's a God of restoration. God is a God of healing. And it's because of your testimony is how we overcome the enemy. It's how we change our towns. It's how we change our cities. It's how our churches grow. Because you have a testimony and nobody told you to shut up about it. I love the fact that in our church we have uh, two of the most notorious meth dealers in our town. Were notorious meth dealers in our town. They can't even rent a mobile home because that is their MO. That's what they're known for. And I will stand up and defend them morning and night and say, look at them now. Look at them now, sober, following Jesus. They have a testimony that's worth sharing. So I like, I like responses at the end of sermons. and This is what God gave me this morning at 6.30 sitting at my coffee table. I want to close in this prayer, but I want to do a corporate prayer where we all say it out 
loud together, and so you'll just repeat after me. We, we do tithe declarations at our church. We don't pass a bucket. Um, we don't make a big deal about the tithe. It's important. You want to talk about obedience? Oh, gosh, he's talking about tithing. Oh, no, it's time to go. But we do these tithe declarations at our church, and we don't do them all the time because sometimes it sounds a little chanty, like you're a cult. <laughs> so we don't say them all the time, and so we're not saying this prayer all the time. But I think that there's a power in this prayer. And so um, would you repeat after me? Jesus, Jesus. I am humbled, I am humbled. That, you considered me worthy that you considered me worthy to be used. In ways big and small. small, To accomplish your will. will Here on earth. earth. Help me respond. respond Without hesitation. hesitation. Whenever I hear your voice. voice. Calling me into action. action. In your powerful. powerful. And equipping name. I pray. Amen. Father God, I pray that the word that you have implanted into the hearts and minds of your believers, your sons and daughters, my brothers and sisters, would be powerful and effective. God, to change the environments of where we go. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but in our life, God. That we would see a billion soul harvest because of the revival that you have put in the hearts and minds of your believers. So God, let us go out and represent you. Let us represent you, Jesus, to everybody that we see, everybody that we encounter. God, would we, be, would we be radically generous as we go out and and sit at a coffee table and tip our waitresses today? Would we see the face of Jesus on everybody that we encounter? Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.